Welcome. There are, of course, a hundred and fifty psalms. But one of the psalms in the book of Psalms appears twice. It's Psalm 14 or it's Psalm 53. Well, if you examine these two psalms very closely, you'll find there are lots of little differences between them. The probable explanation is that God inspired David to write this psalm on two separate occasions, and each time God inspired David with the same thoughts, but slightly different words. So today we're looking at the first of these, which is Psalm 14. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England, and I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. So please turn with me to Psalm 14, where you'll see the heading, To the Chief Musician, a Psalm of David. To the Chief Musician. So this this was for the worship of God at his house, the temple where the chief musician led the priests who worshipped God there. And it's a Psalm of David. It's written by David the King, perhaps before he became king, perhaps when he was experiencing so many people around him who were doing so many evil things. But it looks forward. It looks to Israel's future troubles, but beyond that, to, to the time when the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion, verse 7. It looks beyond that to the time when Israel's people shall be glad, the end of the psalm, which is, of course, the time of Messiah's rule, the time when Messiah will put this world right. But in the meantime, Psalm 14 describes the troubles of this world and they're extremely bad. First one, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I've often heard this quoted by people and uh, they're making a dig, an insult to atheists. They say, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, as if as if any atheist were a fool. Well, I think the Bible treats people with more respect than that. And I think they've misunderstood the meaning of that line in rather a profound way. Firstly, this line is not about the person who says publicly there is no God. Read it again. The fool hath said in his heart. There is no God. So this person who's called a fool is, is not speaking these words aloud. He's thinking them. He's thinking them in his mind. In fact, deeper than his mind, in his heart, deep within himself, what motivates him in life and what motivates him to do his foolish things is he thinks there's no God or, or certainly no God who's going to punish him for his evil acts. The next thing I'd like you to notice in this line is who's saying this? The fool hath said it. The fool. When we see that word fool in the Bible, 
it's generally not referring to someone who can't understand things properly, someone who is, we might say, stupid. What it means is that this person is so foolish to ignore how God has directed him to live, that he lives in the way that pleases his own desires. He lives for himself. He's selfish. He does evil things because he benefits from them. Ah, oh, so what we're saying here is that the wicked person, the person who's doing evil things for his own selfish benefit, is really thinking to himself, there's no God. God won't punish me for this. I can do what I like. And if we look at David's life, we, we can see examples of people who behaved exactly like that. Um, one of the most prominent examples is David's chief army commander, a man called Joab, who was in fact a cousin of King David. And Joab was, for most of his life, loyal in fighting on King David's behalf. Uh, but why was he doing that? He was doing it because he could get an advantage out of it. This same man, Joab, was a murderer. He'd murdered twice. He murdered in cold blood so that he could remain army commander. He, he murdered the, the other men whom David had tried to appoint to that position each time. Now, Joab, it's true, could speak words which sounded very impressive about God. He knew how to speak about religion. David was a very holy man. If you want to impress someone who's holy, you don't do that by talking about their own advantage and trying to get them to be selfish. No, you talk about religion, you impress them. But did Joab really believe in the God he spoke about? David had written in the Psalms, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. No, Joab was trying to impress people with his words about religion. But in his heart, he was saying, There's no God. I can do what I like. And no wonder, David says, They are corrupt. They've done abominable work. Abominable works, sorry, abominable uh, works. Okay, the meanings of the words corrupt. Corrupt means something that's destroying, that's decaying away. They are corrupt. They're trying to destroy the work of God in this land. They've done abominable works, extremely bad works, evil things, terribly evil things. There is none that doeth good. David looks around him and he says, not one of them is truly doing what is good. Now, who is it he's speaking about? We've heard about Joab, but he says they, so he's speaking about many people. And then he says, there is none that doeth good. Is he speaking about all people? Shouldn't he say, there's none that doeth good except for certain people. No, he emphasises that he means all people. Because in this next verse, he has God looking down from heaven to examine the situation. Verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any 
that did understand and seek God. If there was one, surely God would find him. And if God is looking down from heaven so that he sees the whole of creation, surely God would find that person who was genuinely wise. Any that did understand, a person who's genuinely wise. So in verse 1 we have the fool and we contrast that with any that did understand in verse 2. Oh, if there are any who are truly wise, then God would see them. If there are any who are truly wise, they would, the end of verse 2, seek God. What's the test for whether they're truly wise? Whether they seek God. What's the test for if they're fools? That they say in their heart, there is no God. If you want to be truly wise, then you must seek for the God who made you. You must meet with the God to whom you are responsible. The God who will one day be your judge. That is the God whom you need to know if you are truly wise. Okay, the Lord looks down from heaven. He looks, he looks for someone who understands and seeks God. And what's his verdict? Verse 3, they are all gone aside. They are, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You don't get more emphatic than that. Uh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, people from every nation alike, from God's own people Israel and from the foreign nations that didn't serve God, they are all gone aside. Like people who are supposed to walk along a particular path and they've wandered from it. They've gone in a different direction. Like people who are supposed to be clean, but they've all become filthy. They've all become dirty. Something has gone very wrong with our world. When there is none that doeth good. When no one is choosing to do what's good and right. And David again emphasises that with no, not one. And we look on this and we say, well, how can David say this? Are there not people who are seeking after God? Not people who truly want God? We're about to hear about them. In verse 4, these people are going to be called my people. In verse 5, we'll see them called the righteous. In verse 6, we'll see them called the poor. And, and in verse 7, they're called his people. That's God's people, Jacob and Israel. So there are those people. But how has he said there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And yet there are people who are called God's people and called by the honour of being the righteous. Well, it's because God has worked in their lives. It's because God has taken people who've wandered far away from him, people who are not obeying him, people who are guilty of many wrong and evil deeds, and he, in his kindness, in his wonderful love, has made it possible for them to have a right relationship with him, has taught them his wisdom, has made them able 
to return to him and to know him as their God and for him to call them my people. And so verse 4 changes the idea a bit. We've looked at all people guilty of wrong and evil deeds. And yet we start to realise that even in this evil world, God has a people who he is calling for himself. And even those evil people, those people called fools in verse 1, they ought to realise this. They ought to realise that they're doing something terribly wrong because God declares in verse 4, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. The workers of iniquity, iniquity means sin, evil deeds. So this is these foolish people who say in their heart there's no God and live for themselves and live for their own pleasure and their own advantage. God declares they've got no wisdom at all. They've got no knowledge. They don't know because they don't respect God. And God declares that their works of cruelty, which they are doing for selfish purposes, are acts against God himself. They eat up my people, God says, as they eat bread. Okay, how do you eat your food? Well, you consume it. You eat it up for your own pleasure until there is nothing left. And that is the attitude of these workers of iniquity, these foolish people towards God's people, to the people whom God defends and whom God cares about. They eat up my people. It's not saying they're cannibals and they eat them. It's saying they attack them with such cruelty that they would give them no proper place on earth. And yet they are God's people. And yet God has promised to defend them and to protect them and to look after them and to save them from their enemies in this world and to bring them to himself. So the action of these fools, these workers of iniquity, it's an action against God himself. And God repeats for emphasis, they call not upon the Lord. That's the evil people. They don't call upon God. They're not asking God for help. They're not trying to know God. No, they're just living for their own pleasure. Remember the description of a truly wise person in verse 2? They seek God. And now the description of the evil people in verse 4 is the opposite. They call not upon the Lord. Verse 5. There were they in great fear. For God is in the generation of the righteous. When this psalm is repeated in in Psalm 53, this verse is a bit longer and gives a bit more detail. But we're studying Psalm 14 now. So let's look at what Psalm 14 says. They're in great fear. Who are they? The workers of iniquity. The fools of verse 1. The people who refuse to serve God and live for their own pleasure But now their pleasure is destroyed. Now their pleasure is replaced with great fear. Why? For God is in the generation of the righteous. Because God knows those who are his people. He's taken them and though once they were sinners and once they were evil people, 
God has forgiven them. God has changed their lives. God has made them into a new generation, the generation of people who know him and who serve him and who live for him, the generation of the righteous, those who do what God considers to be good and right. How are these people who once were doing wrong things now doing what is good and right? Because God has made them into a generation. The people who are born at one time is what we call a generation. The people who live at the same time. Oh, God has taken these people. He's given them a new life. He's changed them and he's made them into his own people. And now he declares that he is making them righteous. Only God is truly righteous. Only God does only what is good. But God is making his people righteous. He's giving them his righteousness. He is working in their lives to make them into what he wants them to be. Oh, now in this world, they don't look like these great people. They look poor. They look weak. They're suffering the oppression of these evil people who, in verse 4, were eating up my people as they eat bread. But those poor people have true wisdom. Another word for wisdom is counsel. We use that word normally to mean advice. But here it means wisdom in verse 6. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. So God is now speaking directly to the fools, to the workers of iniquity, to these evil, powerful people who've acted so cruelly against God's people. And he says to them, Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor. You, you've looked at the wisdom of those poor people who serve God, those poor people who've turned them from their sins to the living God. You've looked at them and you've mocked them. You've laughed at them. You've said that their wisdom is nothing. You've thought in your hearts, there is no God. These, these poor people are fools. I can take advantage of them. But no, you're wrong because the Lord is his refuge. The Lord is the place of protection for that poor person, that poor person who's put his trust in God. And a refuge is a safe place, a place where you can go to hide in times of trouble, a strong place where you're protected. And this poor person, in all his troubles, with evildoers trying to eat him up. Verse 4, he's turned to God, to the living God to protect him, and God will not disappoint him. Verse 7, we have the prayer, the prayer that David prays in this situation. Seeing, seeing these evil people who are trying to oppress the poor man who wants to serve God, and seeing the poor person who is truly serving God and God is working in his life, he prays for God to act. Verse 7, David's prayer. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. Zion, God's holy place in Jerusalem, the place where people offer to God his sacrifices, where they offer animals so that they can approach God in prayer. Uh, knowing that they themselves are not right with God, but knowing that God has said he will accept their prayers 
when they come to him in the way that he's directed. And so it's out of there that David expects the salvation of Israel to come. What is salvation? Rescue and safety. God has seen his poor people. God is working in their lives to make them into the kind of people he wants them to be, the generation of the righteous. And God will send them salvation through his future king, the perfect king, the Messiah. And so David sees that and he prays and he declares that God's salvation is coming out of Zion, that God will rescue his people. For he concludes, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. The captivity. So God's people here are seen as prisoners in a foreign land. They, they, they've been thrown out of Israel, much as David himself was at the time of King Saul. They're away from Israel, but God is bringing them back. And David looks to future times when God brings back his people to Israel. Uh, but I'm sure he was thinking mainly about the time of the Messiah, about the time when Messiah rules, when God fully brings back the captivity of his people, when at last the workers of iniquity will have no place in the land, when cruel people will no longer oppress, when army commanders will not gain their power or keep their power by, by evil deeds. But God is bringing his people to the place where they should be, to the home that he has for them. And then David declares, when God brings his people back, then Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Now Jacob was the, the ancestor of the Jewish people. From his family came the nation that became Israel and the Jewish people. So God gave him the special name Israel. So Jacob and Israel mean the same person. And Israel and Jacob are referring to the same nation. But how different are the meanings of those two words? Jacob means the one who grasps the heel, the one who takes a place that's not properly his, that the one who is, is crooked, we might say today. And Israel can mean straight to God, the one with the right relationship with God. But Jacob and Israel are the same person. Remember we said, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Everyone has turned aside from God. Oh, but God is making them into his righteous people if they turn to him. God has called them and appointed them to be his people, living in the place that he has for them, in right relationship with him. He's going to overcome these evil enemies. He's going to put an end to the power of these evil enemies. And that will be a time to rejoice for all of Israel's people and for the people in every nation who serve the true God. When God's king rules, when the Messiah rules, then the troubles of this earth will come to an end. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
That's the time of the Messiah, the time which David always looked forward to, the time which he remembers at the end of Psalm 14. Before I read to you the, the whole of the the whole of Psalm 14, let me give me give you my email address. It's 333kjv at gmail.com. That's 333kjv at gmail.com. And now here is the whole of Psalm 14. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for, the, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. <laughs> 